there is this hero image. It's just a big traditional mm-hmm. piece of steak with needles going into it. And if you don't want to be called lab meat, you know, maybe don't do interviews from the lab. I think that thus far the industry is a bit in an echo chamber. And I think that this is what I've started to yeah. wake up to in a real way. I think consistency and communication points across companies will be important. Inconsistency will break down trust at a really key stage. Food on an industrial scale is always not as romantic. People talk about the vegan trap. What about the natural trap? If you focus too much on the product, setting all these expectations, that's potentially dangerous. But how? It's the how. It's the how you communicate about this. What is sustainability as a practice? Mm. Not as this concept that can make you feel good about eating something. What does it mean day to day? Hey peeps, I regularly chat to people from the food tech space to stay up to date with what is going on. In a recent call with Nikki, our today's guest, I felt, oh, this needs to be shared. This is some good stuff. And here we are. Nikki has more than 15 years of experience in marketing and branding across multiple sectors, including hospitality, biotech, and consumer goods for brands such as Nestle, Four Seasons, and Boss. Currently, she's global marketing director of Ala Farms, a cultivated meat company based in Israel. Ala Farms is growing delicious beef steaks isolated from a cow using a fraction of the resources required for raising an entire animal for meat and without antibiotics. Let's jump right in. This is Red to Green. You're listening to season three on promoting alternative proteins. 12 episodes covering consumer acceptance and food psychology of novel foods, like cell-cultured meat and alternative dairy. To receive the best takeaways on food tech and sustainability, subscribe now and sign up to our newsletter at redtogreen.solutions. I'm your host, Marina Schmidt. How would you see the development of brands in the cultured meat space? When I'm talking, it's from my perspective and not left farms, right? I think that people who pretend, who say they have it, this all figured out, are just fooling themselves when I think that it's dangerous. So I'm trying to create kind of an open dialogue because I think that even like listening to all of your past podcasts you've recorded, it's a minefield. That's why I'm here though. Like I love this challenge. I think you have seen for a long time what I call this sea of same. So everyone is sort of saying the same thing until very recently, right? We saw Memphis Meats rebrand. I think that as you see companies getting closer to launch, you'll see these refreshes and this sort of honing in on certain uh, key messaging that might be different than what it was previously. I think a lot of people are focusing on top of the funnel content. So hi, I'm X brand. We are a cultivated or cell cultured or whatever. And I think that startups at this stage, listen, if you haven't raised your series A, you don't even really have a budget to dedicate towards marketing. When I was at Spring Design Partners, the creative agency in New York City, where that's where Aleph and I originally met about a year and a half ago, I think that they were one of the first brands to be thinking about the brand. (laughs) One of the first companies to be thinking about their branding. And Didier has known from early on that the brand is going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting alongside the product. 
Uh, so I don't think there's a lot of activity right now with regards to brand and marketing because no one's in market, right? So if you don't have a call to action, and that's something that we're working on a left being so a year or so out from being in market. It's like, what are you asking people to do at this point? If you don't have your product, then, then I think that I like to see these challenges as opportunities and really to innovate around our sort of limitations, if you will. You'll see this summer, we're thinking about launching a mini e-commerce site. We'll be selling our posters from Earth Day. We'll be creating some cool merch, thinking about how can we start to, if we don't have that hero product, we don't have that all that pressure that goes into marketing a specific product, right? Where you need that hero product shot. You need to talk about the specific benefits of the food. You want someone to put it in their mouth. That's very different than what we're doing right now, which is trying to raise awareness about the lifestyle and the values and everything really except for the product, right? Because we don't have that pressure to be like, go to the store you can buy it right now. I think that you have to be creative about what you're saying and what you're asking people to do and how you're building that awareness. Mm, yeah. And just to give a bit more context, so Memphis Meats rebranded to Upside Foods recently. And yes, it's, it's quite fascinating regarding the branding right now in the industry. It, it's quite an unusual situation if you brand so much in advance of actually having a product out in the market and actually having a product even in the, in the grocery stores is so much more further into the future. So it really influences the way that we need to talk about that. And one could say it's it's not even marketing. It could be called consumer awareness campaigning. Sure, yeah. <laughs> something, uh, something in that direction. You know, I think that we have likened to cell phones. So when first cell phones came out, they were not you know, ideal. They were clunky. They were big, cumbersome. They didn't uh, mm. perform very well, but there was a passionate group of early adopters. The, the stakes, there's going to be this big comparison that goes on. And some of these products, I think that a lot of people have a lot of expectations about cultivated meat. They, we, we constantly get asked, what does it taste like? Is it going to be exactly like the, the steak? As our industry comes to fruition and develops and the technology develops, I think you're going to see further and further improvements in terms of like meeting those expectations that go along with being a real meat product. So I think that the brand is going to have to make up for some of those shortcomings. You really want someone to buy into your vision, right? Because I think if you focus too much on the product, setting all these expectations based on an incumbent industry, I think that's potentially dangerous. Absolutely. I love the example of the phone industry. If you think about the Nokia phones, it would be hard to imagine the iPhone uh, back in the days and how far we've come in terms of our technology. Well, I was going to say, when you think about disruption, people, people think about disruption and they think about disruption from the bottom up. How do you disrupt with a premium product? You know, that's what we are thinking about. And as it scales and you're able to mm. bring your prices down, you know, this is what Jack talks about in the terms of the challenges that will come when you're speaking to your early adopters versus that more mainstream audience. And I think that that's why we also have a design-led product. And we compare ourselves to Apple sometimes. I know, I know, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. But what the reason why we discuss Apple is because Apple wasn't the first <laughs> cell phone, right? And we won't be the first cultivated meat brand to go to market, but they're design-led. Apple set a new standard for what the experience of a cell phone should be and in a very design-led way. And that is behind our thinking mm. as well. So I really liked your point on expectation management. I think 
AstraZeneca, the vaccine, is an interesting example of that. So imagine that the side effects would have been already known when AstraZeneca was put on the market. I think people wouldn't have reacted that strongly. The issue that created the strong backlash is because it was allowed and then it turns out, oh, the expectations are different and now people start distrusting the whole regulation process and something that would have been fine otherwise is now a big, big scandal, right? And that may be an important lesson for the cultured meat industry that setting expectations is really dangerous in a way. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's, it's challenging and there's evidence out there of missteps that have been made in other industries with other technology solutions that were very promising and that faced some major backlash. And I think that that's definitely something that, that I think the industry should be focusing on in terms of science communication ahead of the market. To be transparent, like Jack said as well, it means not waiting until someone asks you a question to answer it. But how? It's the how. It's the how you communicate about this that's going to be important. How mm. much or how little do you say? I think that too much storytelling is bad. But on the other hand, too many technical details aren't helpful either. Yeah, you know, I really like the Nugs brand, N-U-G-G-S. They do these plant-based uh, products. The company behind it is Simulate, okay. so simulate.com. And I would recommend checking out the website on a uh, laptop. But the amazing thing about them is that they have interestingly embraced the high-techness of their plant-based product. They created this whole storyline around simulating the experience of meat. And they've driven their following through doing lots of meme content on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Lots of funny content that has garnered them a lot of attention and also by working through ghost kitchens and growing growing very fast. There are some interesting articles on that for anybody who's interested, just Google it. So I think that's a fantastic way to get to get people really engaged and really connected to it. You told me about the transition from niche media to mass media, and you've experienced that yourself with Aleph recently, mm -hmm. that it's very different to be covered by a media outlet that's interested in sustainability in food tech versus a media outlet that addresses the popular topics and more of a general audience. Can, can you share a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So after our ribeye press release several months ago, when we announced that we 3D bioprinted a ribeye, Town & Country reached out to us. I was surprised that a media outlet like Town & Country would be aware of cultivated meat and, and interested in writing an article about it at this stage. I mean, it's a lifestyle publication that focuses on sort of a middle, upper class, upper class uh, audience. So I was surprised uh, happily. And naturally, we opened our doors, as we always do, um, and dedicated a lot of time with the journalist and doing a cooking demo and introducing him to multiple stakeholders at the company. And when the article came out, gee, I was so excited to check it out, right? I, I'll be totally honest with you. I was like a bit surprised at first. And then I said, well, of course, this is what happens. I think that thus far, the industry is a bit in an echo chamber. And I think that this is what I've started to yeah. wake up to. 
in a real way. So yeah, uh, the um, Town and Country piece was a you know, well-rounded piece, actually. I reread it several times. The imagery was certainly polarizing. And actually, the journalists had no idea what imagery they were going to choose. And we had no say in it, I've discovered. But it, it was a merely a putting together different perspectives on this from a, a steakhouse restaurant owner or Mark Bittman. People are going to have differing opinions about this. I think that we all have to get ready for that. That's what's going to happen when we go to mainstream. And I think that um, this is what we're going to see. There's going to be way more blowback coming our way. And I think that we all have to sort of huddle together and gather. Um, and I think because I think consistency and communication points across companies will be important. You know, I think that if one company is saying something in one way and another company mm-hmm. is saying it the other, this inconsistency will break down trust at a really key stage for us as we all go to market. I'm so excited about Cultivated Me is that we're not asking anyone to change their behavior. It's that simple. This is not a yeah. new product necessarily. It's a new production process. Interesting. Yes, yes, yes. That is an interesting take on it because I do say oftentimes that it's a new product category, you could say. Yeah, a different production process. But at the same time, the meat will also be different. So we will create meat products, which are completely different from what we've seen today, yeah. or products w- which have a different nutritional profile. I, I loved Ishta's point about really thinking outside the box in terms of research, because I think that we have to check our assumptions at the door. I think that there are some assumptions going on about who we're talking to mm-hmm. and what this should be. I loved Ishta's idea of like, maybe it's a snack, right? I mean, Something interesting that I learned recently in reading a research report on insects, the most interesting insight to me was that they asked people to imagine how they would be eating this. What they said was they imagine eating it with family and friends. It's social, right? So I think that we have to think about where this is going to live and breaking down those barriers to entry in terms of how is someone going to be open to trying this? I thought Ishtar had a great point. When it's what's for dinner... (laughs) <laughs> there's more risk than, oh, let, I'll try a chip. So that that's definitely something to consider. And I think that right now, a lot of traditional research is going on with regards to these large-scale consumer surveys. There's only so much you can learn from saying, you know, 40% of people are highly likely to try and purchase cultivated meat. A lot happens between them saying that in this imaginary bubble and them pulling out their wallet or putting something in their mouth. Yeah, yeah. I think this really needs some learning from different fields and other brands to circle back to the magazine story. Yeah. So you were saying the article itself, it wasn't completely negative, right? But then the main backlash actually was on the social media channels, the YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, right? Right. There is this uh, hero image with the article. I don't have it nearby. I usually do, but it's horrifying. (laughs) It's just a big traditional Mm -hmm. piece of steak with needles going into it and in a lab setting. It's uh, pretty ugly and it definitely is polarizing. It incites fear and rejection. I mean, you have to kind of, as a caveat, think about who follows town and country on Instagram and let alone who is commenting. Yeah, there was a lot of negative about it. And I think that these first images, these first mainstream communications are first impressions and they're powerful. And um, it's something that we were not in control of and we won't be. These media outlets won't even let you see the imagery Mm -hmm. before they put out an article, let alone let you change it. So, but at the same time, 
in reflecting, I was talking to some PR consultants we work with, and they said, you know, if you don't want to be called lab meat and or to be seen as lab meat, you know, maybe don't do interviews from the lab right? <laughs> because that's where the industry is right now. We are in labs right now, y'all. Like, And there's nothing wrong with that. I feel like people talk about the vegan trap. What about the natural trap? I mean, arguing in the terms of what's more natural, I think right now the way we're producing meat isn't natural either. So I, I almost worry about arguing on even on that level. And it, it, that framing, I think, is dangerous as well. Trying to who's more natural than, than the other is also rife with problems. Mm. Someone said recently on Twitter that they've come full circle on lab meat and now they love it again. And part of me is like, yeah, we should own it. Like I welcome the incumbent meat industry to tell us where, where their product comes from. If you don't want to be seen as lab meat, then maybe don't show the lab, but that's transparency. That's where we are right now. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Regarding the point on the lab, right? I just today had an interview with Lou Cooperhouse from Lunalu who was saying that he actually feels a bit offended when people call it lab-grown fish because the biofermenters are so common in the food industry. It's it's not like you would uh, say it's lab-grown beer. The tricky part is how much do we want to have people's minds glued to the idea that there's scientists leaning over a Petri dish stitching together their next meal and how much we want to zoom in on this naturalness argument. Because I think by showing labs, we are in a way creating this discussion about is science good or bad? And is this natural or not? Versus rather talking about some story, the founders, the mission, the values behind yes, it. Again, without course. bashing the animal agriculture, right? We also focus more on the benefits. Oh, I agree. There's a hierarchy in your, what you communicate about. How much airtime do you give it? Where on your website does it go? I, I think that for us, I want to think less about what happens before people try your product and what happens after. Less on customer acquisition and more on the user experience, the customer experience. And that's why I think creating a quality product and focusing on the experience and building a community around that is much more interesting to people, much more emotional um, and something that people can galvanize around rather than over communicating about things that frankly, people don't really want to hear about. They want to know that it's there for them to know about, but I don't think that we need to hit people over the head with it. And I think that with other industries, like at first yogurt was something that was made by hand, but as it's grown and scaled, it has moved into what can be described as a more lab or industrial environment. Food on an industrial scale is always not as romantic, but I think that people, they kind of still attach themselves to this naturalness of what it was in terms of how it's evolved into yeah it's not it's mm. not something that's talked about as much because i think that because it comes with the challenges of a novel product right at least i think people have gone along this journey where it, something used to be made by hand and maybe now it's not because it's industrializing at, at scale but yeah i, I agree i understand what, where lou's coming from for sure yeah maybe it's just a minefield to talk about naturalness in terms of cultured meat or cellular agriculture products. And it really helps, as you just said earlier, like focus on a different frame and maybe do focus on switching the discussion to health or environment or coolness, just lifestyle, coolness, oh, badassness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, that's why I'm here. I think and health too is a really good point. What we're learning in our research are, is that I think there are assumptions going on in terms of we have to prove this is natural. People are actually really open 
open to us improving the nutritional profile of meat, which I was surprised about. Mm -hmm. I thought that, Mm -hmm. listen, we're just trying to be the same, to mimic it. Let's not assume we can improve upon nature, right? Mm -hmm. Things are a certain way for a reason, perhaps. These are assumptions that I have, but I I was uh, surprised to learn that people are actually excited and interested in improving the nutritional profile of meat, particularly in countries outside the United States, but in the US as well. But in Asia, for example, that's something that we've seen. So I guess I think that the environment and health Yeah, they seem to be a a way to refocus the conversation from we are just replacing to we are improving. And it's quite interesting to think about how much communication and airtime is being spent on defending and how much is being spent on convincing. So rather than trying to debunk misconceptions, focusing on explaining benefits. How do you see that spectrum? I definitely think that focusing more on the vision and the benefits is probably the right strategy. Too much attention spent being responsive and sort of passive in that way and on the defense, I think is not something that you want to prioritize. It only what you give attention grows. Mm. So I think that right now the vision is something, again, having a big, that big tent philosophy and that vision that so many people can rally around. I mean, think about unconditional and secure access to nutrition for everyone. That's really compelling. The food security potential solutions that cultivated meat can offer are, are huge. But I have a challenge in terms of how do you bridge from the fact, okay, we see the potential of cultivated meat to feed the world, but you're launching a what's going to be a premium product mm-hmm. because of its price point at first, right? So how do you reconcile those two messages and that long-term vision that you see when you think about cultivated meat, how it might scale in the next 10, 20 years, and the potential, you can call it this mass market product, that's not what it's going to be at first at all. We have a, first of all, an automatically premium product, Mm. we have a stake, and that's very strategic. Everyone is going to have similar cogs going into this, right? So if you're able to command a higher price point in the market, you have a higher chance of succeeding because you can afford the product, the, the medium, essentially this growth medium that you need. But In terms of a marketing perspective, that's an interesting challenge that I think we're facing and a lot of brands are facing in the industry with regards to the premium product that you're going to be launching with in terms of the price point and then therefore the branding that needs to go around it. But then how do you grow and scale in a genuine way as the technology scales and the product becomes Mm. cheaper? The World Economic Forum tweeted a few months ago a call to action for startups to submit solutions for the big protein challenge in the next 20 years. And they gave us as an example, they said, like this company who does this, the comments on this tweet, that's when I got the first peek, I think, into what's going to come our way in terms of the blowback. Mm. Dozens and dozens of comments from people saying, the elite want us to eat this gruel while you get the real stuff. I don't think so. You know what I mean? That's essentially the theme. Yeah. So both are problematic. First, having it just be elite and then having it be cheap and sort of seen as second class meat. But then if we combine that with our discussion on the health benefits, let's say yeah. you create a meat that is significantly healthier than conventional or even grass fed 
right. meat, then you can also keep the price a bit higher and you can have a premium product versus a cheaper product from the same Exactly. Company. I agree. And that's why, again, that's why I left farms. We're focusing on quality products, premium products. I think that ultimately having a portfolio of different brands and different products could be interesting. We recently created a, a social listening platform. So one of these platforms that's essentially plugged into the internet mm -hmm. where we can see all instances of certain terms being used across public platforms. We also purchased data going back over 10 years. It's confirmed your hypothesis regarding um, potentially anti-vaxxers being anti-cultivated meat. And this whole conspiracy sort of potential yeah. for conspiracy mm. theories is rife. I was looking, I've just gotten into the platform and I've just gotten access to it in the past 24 hours. But I did, I looked up the key terms about cultivated meat and concerns about health, concerns, concerns, basically. What I was able to find, there's a, a particular mm -hmm. tweets, these Twitter accounts are, well, first of all, a couple of them have already been blocked by Twitter, but they have handles that have the word anti-vax in them yeah. or, or um, red, like they're Republicans, meaning they are red leaning. I'm not surprised and mm. I'm pretty concerned about it, I would say. I think that you're definitely onto something um, with regards to cultivated meat being sort of right mm. for conspiracy theory. Yeah. And it's also very ripe for being politicized big time oh, yeah. as a topic of left wing versus right wing. You know what I find interesting with climate disbelief, like climate change disbelief? Sure, yeah. One issue, one fundamental issue is that the topic of climate change got also a lot of coverage during the time where in journalism there was this new paradigm shift that you should be giving different sides of the issue, different opinions, mm. equal airtime. So even though the amount of scientists who would say that climate change isn't real um, is negligible, they would get a lot of airtime, a disproportionate amount of airtime, which would create this impression for citizens that, oh, apparently people are really unsure about this. And this seems to be something that is really debated about. Right. And a lot of scientists seem to be questioning climate change. And so in that sense, the way that our journalism has developed really had an impact on our world's state massively. And I see here an issue also potentially with cultured meat that the naysayers, like that's the issue. Like even though there may be few, rather not that many people who will actually be really deeply against that, they will get a lot of publicity. And that's something that that's right. needs to be handled and where again, I think the industry needs to work together. And crisis management is important. And, and being able to respond almost real time, I think, is important in some cases, too. I think it's important to see how these conversations are developing. The New York Post will write a whole article based on one random person's tweet that was like very negative. Social media has sort of been equalized. Everyone's ah. perspectives, right? And you can pull out one tweet yes. and, and raise it to the level of legitimacy as a, perhaps a scientist or other people that will be involved in this conversation. So we beforehand were talking about the issue of creating cellular agriculture to do something good for the whole world and to have a positive impact, but then only having it available for a very limited amount of people at a very high price point. So the issue of it may be seen as elitist 
and therefore will be rejected. And interestingly, I see a parallel with health and environmental benefits because what we are talking about is quite often the potential of a benefit. We're not actually talking about a currently available benefit. So when we're talking about the environmental issues and the improvements environmentally, we are promising that, but currently as productions are inefficient when they're small, that's that's not necessarily the case. And I get that question so often by people. They say, do you really think this is going to be better environmentally? Because right now it's taking so much energy. And one has to explain, well, once it scales, that's where it becomes feasible. And that's when you can really replace fetal bovine serum. And that's when uh, you can also work on the R&D to make it healthier. So yeah, that's a specific tricky part of the situation that we're in that we're we're sort of future communicating the whole time right because mm. talk is cheap too i, I think that yeah. we do have to be more specific i do want to say that we made a carbon neutrality commitment and we're about to announce our roadmap so talking about the specifics and what is sustainability as a practice mm. not as this like concept that can make you feel good about eating something what does it mean day to day in terms of how we're growing the company and more information to come but i do think it's important important that we are very specific about what it means, the potential, how it actually does play out, what renewable energy, you know, are you Mm -hmm. using? It depends on where the facility is, the biofarm is in our case. What are those, the smart renewable energy resources in that specific um, region that makes sense to use, whether it's solar or wind or et cetera. People do have to speak more specifically about how they're going to implement things. And you're about to hear a lot more from us, at least, but I think other companies, because we're going to be open about it too. We think that this information needs to be shared. This is not a path that's been trodden before. This is this is not something, a playbook that is already mm. out there as, as brands, as other brands too, transition from to being more sustainable. It's important that we share resources and how it's possible. No one's in a competition to save the earth. It's something that we, we all need to do together. So it's in our best interest to share information and, and, and to be specific about what we're doing. So I think that you're right about that and, and you'll be hearing more, at least from us soon. Yeah, and that's what I love about Ala Farms also from the last year when I interviewed Didier yeah. on the podcast that there's something backing up the claims of sustainability. And this makes it much more credible and also you could say more bulletproof as it will become increasingly important when cellular agriculture companies actually get the mass media attention and do get screened to be able to show it's not just uh, hot air. As you told me recently, Wired is currently working on an in-depth article on stem cell lines. Yes. And this shows us that Well, there are journalists now who are doing rather investigative journalism who do really dig into the topics and who will fact check and who will draw out inadequacies in in performance versus oratory. Yeah, I think that most consumers have a PhD in marketing at this point. They're very sensitive to marketing. They know when they're being Mm. marketed to and they're tired of bullshit. So I do think that we all have to be very careful about this storytelling that we all talk about 
and, and not turning the dial up too heavy on, on the romance and communicating the facts is, is definitely important and finding that relevancy. How we do it, I think is important. Okay, we know what we need to say, but how do you say it? That's where I think it's important that, think that content's entertaining, funny at times when appropriate to help kind of get someone's guard down. Hmm, fascinating. If you would have 50 million in what businesses would you invest in if you can't invest in other farms? <laughs> That's a tough one. I definitely want to invest in a lot of farms, but I um, am excited generally about the alternative meat space also solutions for food waste. I think that's a huge problem. And I'm excited about solutions in that space. I'm excited about psychedelics. I've always been excited about cannabis. And I think that maybe there are some interesting lessons from the cannabis industry in terms of teaching people about the plant, mm. the benefits of it, the science of it. I think that there's some interesting examples out there that I like looking to other categories for lessons. So I think that that's an interesting sector. I'm really excited about all these alternative healing modalities that I think are going to really develop and grow over the coming years. But honestly, being sector agnostic for a second, I would invest in women. I would invest in minorities, the underdog, people that came out of jail, people that are on the margins of our society. I think that we, we need to uh, rethink how you invest in people, not companies. Regarding food sustainability or agriculture, what is an unusual opinion that you hold that many people would disagree with? I think that being polarizing can be good. I think that this is going to be sort of an opinion I have more about marketing than those specific sectors. I think that if you're trying mm -hmm. to appeal to everyone, you end up appealing to no one. So I, throughout my career, when I see the most success is from brands who put a stake in the ground, who have a strong opinion. And I think that it's better for 50% of the world to love you than nobody even know you exist. So we'll see how that could potentially apply to emerging industries like cultivated meat. But I think that overall in my career, I've noticed again that being polarizing isn't necessarily a bad strategy. How can listeners connect with you? Oh, well, you can always um, reach out to me on LinkedIn, follow Aleph Farms on Instagram. Yeah, just should I say something more specific? I don't know. My cell phone number, 917-837. But actually, no, really, I, I welcome outreach. I really, <laughs> Call now. I welcome outreach. DM me, text me. I mean, no, really, I, I think that we do. I really want to come together as a community. I think that feedback and criticism is critical. We need to be honest with each other. If we don't say what we're really thinking, I think there could be huge repercussions. So I welcome all feedback always and always happy to speak with anybody you know, who wants to have a chat. Mm, yes, I think also our conversation that we had a while back inspired me in a way that you said right now, the cellular agriculture industry is not yet that interconnected regarding these communication issues. Yeah. And lots of companies do not yet have a designated marketing professional yes. or communications professional working on these things full time. That's part of the issue, but it's necessary to already start now and create this collaboration between the companies to align on how we communicate about this. So uh, yeah, our talk definitely inspired me to create something like that and to bring people in the industry together informally via private Zoom meetings to discuss that and to create collaboration. So thank you very much for that. Thanks for being on Red to Green, Nikki. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening. Each season is like an audiobook and the episodes build upon each other. So check out the other ones to get a full picture. 
Also, consider listening to season one on cell cultured products like real beef or real dairy made without the cow. Or listen to season two on plastic alternatives and sustainable food packaging. Until next time, let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.